Thank you, TV. It's always nice to be introduced by TV, isn't it? <laughs> um, I have a gift for y'all, and uh, I'm going to ask my lovely family here to hand y'all receive this, and you'll see why later you're getting this gift. So take one, and if you want two, that's fine. If you want to give it to somebody else, perfectly fine. Well, good morning. Y'all did good making it here in, in the middle of the floods. Did anyone have to drive through like flooded streets? I'm just curious. One, I heard Andrea said, yeah, there's a few more over here. Good job. Thank y'all for making it. You won't be disappointed, those who made it through the floods. Um, maybe it's a sign of what God wants to do in our city. I think of that. Amen. Well, I want to thank Pastor Bart Brookins, our pastor, who's asked me to speak today. We bless them and uh, miss them, obviously, and uh, look forward to them coming back refreshed and uh, hopefully built up some new muscles. I hear they've been hiking and big mountains, the Tetons, and having fun. It's awesome. It's wonderful. So today, um, I would like to... Um, Remember a dear friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, whose birthday is today, Miss Dora Madeiras. Wow. Love Dora. Dora, Dora Madeiras. Dear lady, um, woman of God, today's her birthday. So, Lord bless her today in heaven. We love her. Um, I want to just share a word I believe God gave me for fullness before I get into the message. You say, what does God think of our church? How does he feel about fullness? And here's the words I heard. I wasn't asking him, um, but he said, fullness is my darling. Fullness is my baby. That's how he thinks about us. I thought that was interesting. We, sometimes we may wonder, is God mad at us? Has he left us? And Does he have a plan for us? He has strong feelings of endearment towards us as a church, and I thought I would share that as I begin. Um, we're going to go on a journey this morning. Um, when I'm done, I'm sure you'll be thinking, I'm not sure that I just experienced a sermon. Um, this is going to be a little different. Um, we're going to unveil a story of, of, uh, of my life of our nation, and, um, and we together are going to seek the Lord about what He wants to do in this generation and what we're to do a part of it. God is at work among us. So I'm going to flip through the slides here. Here's the three points I have today. The sermon today is about the year of Jubilee. So we're going to talk about what Jubilee is. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the, the calendar of Jubilee, and this is also the calendar of the year of Jubilee and the Jewish calendar. I'm not going to go there today, and you'll see why. Um, I'm also 50 years of age, so there's a lot of significance to me about this year. And um, then we're going to talk about the state of our nation that we live in and where it's been the last 50 years. 
And, um, and then we're, we are together. I'm going to ask you at the end of this sermon, if you would, um, actually during the sermon, you're going to get a chance to, with me, declare God's light over our nation. We'll read a, a little brief thing that I've written. Uh, had Tom read it with me yesterday and made a slight change to it. But I will read that together. And at the very end of the service, um, I'm going to ask the elders of our church to come forward and stand at the front with a bottle of anointing oil and offer to pray for you personally. Uh, it'll be a short prayer, um, and I'd invite everyone to participate, even if the folks in the balcony can come down. It'll be a quick prayer, and then some are doing sound. If you can slip out and slip back up, that would be wonderful. Mitch will play a few additional songs at the end of the service for us just to worship him as we wrap up. So that's where we're headed. So this is going to be a bit of a journey today. So join me as we walk this road together. So let's first talk about Jubilee. What does it mean? Jubilee, uh, the word is, it actually means ram's horn. You think of the ram's horn or the shofar or trumpet. It is a, is a form of blowing the trumpet. And um, it, it, it is also significant of the year of Jubilee. So what is the year of Jubilee? It's referenced in Leviticus 25. It's the 50th year is sacred. It is a time of freedom, of celebration, when everyone will receive back the original property. I like to say your debts are forgiven. And the slaves go free and they return to their families. So it was a very special time. People looked forward to the year of Jubilee. If they had a lot of debt, they couldn't wait because they were going to be forgiven. If they had been Often slavery, because of various situations, they knew they were going to be free to come back to their family. So it was a very important time in the, the children of Israel's uh, history. And, and I believe we can apply this to our situation here among us as well today. And so you'll see as we, we get into that. But before I do, um, a lot of times when, when someone speaks, you, you know, some of you have only known me a little bit. Some of you have known me a long time, but I wanted to share my testimony so you can see a little bit about where I've come from, my story, and how it fits into what I believe God's given me to share today. Um, first, I was born October 7th, 1966, in the city of Parkersburg, West Virginia. Parkersburg sits on the, right on the banks of the Ohio River. Um, my family um, were lower class, poor, relatively speaking. My grandfather rode, drove a, a riverboat or piloted a riverboat on the Ohio River. My other grandfather was uh, a, a distributor of fruit and, and produce, so he was in the produce business. Um, <laughs> my, my grandfather on my dad's side and my grandmother on my dad's side were adopted. Um, and uh, my, my grandmother... On, uh, and my, my grandmother on my mom's side, her husband died when my mother was a young girl um, in the late 1920s. And um, if you know, 1929 was the big crash in America. And so um, it was really tough for my mother and her mom uh, and to trying to raise a family. The, it's a beautiful story. I'm going to honor my grandmother in this story. Um, she told me that when the, the, the stock market crashed in 1929, the banker came to Grandma and said, um, there's going to be a run on the bank. Come get your money because you're going to need it to live. She, he knew that she was a widow and 
And she says, no. She goes, I'm not going to do that. Um, we'll make it. So they live with little. I asked my grandmothers when they were very old, I said, Grandma, what nationality are we? <laughs> what ethnicity are we? My grandma, uh, my dad's side, of course, since she was adopted, she says, I, and we didn't know that at the time. She goes, I don't know. We don't know what we are? She goes, no, I have no idea. And I looked at my grandmother on my mom's side, and I said, Grandma Tool, I said, she goes, I have no idea. We never talked about it. And now maybe I know why. They were just trying to survive at that time. So um, that's where I come from. When I was a young boy, we moved to South Florida. The boom was happening in Florida. And um, uh, my family, my dad got saved. And in 1974, around 74, I'm not sure exactly. I didn't have a journal then. I had a dream. And in this dream, the Lord Jesus came to me in the dream. And he... He came to me, and I've never felt anything like this before, but I felt such love and such light, and he just hugged me, and, and I don't think I heard any words, but it was like he was saying, I love you, and didn't know much about what was going on. I told my mom about it the next day, and I said, I think Jesus came to me and said he loved me, and so I was growing up in the church and struggling through, but it wasn't until 1982, through a series of events in my life, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And every time I prayed, every time I prayed, God did not answer my prayers. And every time I did not pray, everything I wanted happened. <laughs> and so um, there was a scout from the Brooklyn or the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers who was going to be, at, I think it was the Dodgers and the Yankees, one of them, was going to be there at our baseball game. And I was like, okay, Lord, you know, this is, this is my chance to be seen. And the scout's coming to watch me play. And, and I just, you know telling him what, what he needed to do. <laughs> and so needless to say, it was the worst game of my life. Um, my dad was the coach, got thrown out of the game for yelling at the umpire, and we lost to the worst team in the city. You know? <laughs> and so um, I went home that night, and I, and I said, God, I have one question for you. I said, why, why did this happen? I just, I just have to know, because I believed in God. I knew he existed. But I said, I have got to know. And for the first time in my life, I heard God speak to me. And I didn't know that he was going to speak to me. But he, says, he said, because you're not saved. And I realized, I said, wow, that's it. He has a much greater plan than my plan to be whatever that was. And he, and he was waking me up. So thank God for unanswered prayers. Because sometimes by his mercy, he's trying to get our attention. So 1982, I was, I was saved and, and changed. In 1989, Wendy and I were married um, in South Florida. Um, and shortly thereafter, we moved to, to here. And I got to back up a little bit. Um, when I was in college, I had a wonderful experience. Um, this was uh, 1984, 85, 86, and 87. And... Um, while I was in that time in my life, the Lord told me that when I was 26 years old that there was going to be an anointing come on my life. Now, as I got married, got a job in Miami, Florida, I forgot all about that. 
um, God miraculously brought us to Birmingham in 1991. And I, I need to tell you this story because it's really significant. In 1990, I met Bart and Kathy Brookins at a wedding in Dallas, Texas. They were there, and I had never met them. And in their hands was a baby, smaller than a football, Jared Brookins. And something came over me when I met them. And I'm like, it was as if I had known Bart my entire life. Um, and I'm looking like, what is that feeling? And I didn't know what to think about it. And I didn't think about it, honestly, until a year later when I was in the midst of seeking God about my job in Miami, Florida. And I was crying, literally crying out to God one, one day, coming home from work. The next day, I had two job offers to move to Birmingham or Atlanta. And I remember I went to my pastor, Jimmy Brookins, and I said, Mr. Brookins, Pastor Brookins, I believe God's calling us to move. And he says, well, you know, Bart just moved to Birmingham. And when he said that, I remembered that feeling I had that, that summer before. And I said, well, maybe God wants us to move to Birmingham. We had no family here, never expected to live here. And so God is taking us through this journey. And in 1991, 92, 93, and, and then 93 is when we met in uh, Bart's living room to pray about starting fullness. And I remember later, years later, I was reading through my journal. And that's when I was, believe it or not, I was 26 years old. Maybe we should have some 26-year-old elders around here. What do you all think of that? Wouldn't that be radical? Hey, Jesus was 30 when he ministered. I don't see why not, right? Anyway, a little pitch for, for the young people. Hey, get ready. You might be next. So you never know. So 1993, I became an elder, and in 1998, in a prayer meeting at Fullness, uh, we were over at which is what is now the Hoover Police Station, believe it or not, and um, I, we were in prayer, probably not even a dozen of us or less, and I was sitting, probably where did Dan's at, more in the back, and, and the Lord said to me, get up. I stood up, he says, go to the back. So I walked to the back of the church. He says, I have something to say to you. And so I walked to the back, and he says, I'm calling you to preach. And he said, to prove it to you, I'm going to give you a verse, Jeremiah 1.5. And, and that's the verse that says, before I formed you, I knew you, I called you a prophet to the nations. And so um, I wanted to share that story because a few months ago in home group, I was talking to Steve Couch, and I couldn't remember the verse that God had given me. And that's not a good thing when you forget. Sometimes you've got to remember. You've got to, you've got to shake yourself a little bit. TV's laughing at me, but you do. Sometimes you've got to remember what God has called you to. And then the last thing I'll share with you briefly about last week or week and a half ago, I was celebrating my 30th year with AT&T where I started in 1987. So I guess you all could figure that out. So that's a little bit about me. And so um, I want to shift gears here and talk about a parallel decline that's occurred during my lifetime. And I will say this to you. To me, this, is, this message I'm sharing with you today, I believe, has been a part of me from the day I was born. I believe that this day was, is ordained by God, that God wants to do something new. Now, like I said... I can't explain to you the, the, what, why I feel this way, but I have felt this way my whole life. I have felt like I have been sent to reverse the decline that has happened in the last 50 years. I believe that my life born 
this day, 50, over 50 years ago now, God was going to bring us to this place. So let me try to explain this. What, so this is going to be a very unusual I'm about to share with you, but hang with me, okay? So what happened in 1966, the year I was born? April 30th, 1966, in the city of San Francisco, the Church of Satan was founded by Anton LaVey. Anyone know that statistic? Just curious. I see one, one hand, two hands. Y'all didn't know about that, right? Um, they declared, he declared, this is year one, the first year of the age of Satan. A time of self-indulgence, a time where we were individualistic, we were nonconformist, we were rejecting everything that caused us to be dependent on anything, and we were just a bunch of animals. And you begin to see something shift in our nation. You begin to see this darkness rising in our nation in a blatant way, starting in 1966. Now, how, who knows about the Love Pageant rally on October 6, 1966? Anyone know about that? Just one person knows about the love. So this would have been, what, the day before I was born, right? The day before I was born, the Love Pageant rally occurs in San Francisco. And I, I forget the guy's name. I believe his name's Cohen, uh, wrote a prophecy. And here was his prophecy. It's called the Prophecy of a declaration of independence. And I only put excerpts in here. He says, we hold these experiences to be self-evident, that all is equal, that the creation endows us with certain inalienable rights, that among these are the freedom of the body, pursuit of joy, whatever makes me happy, and the expansion of consciousness. So you see this, this, this rebellion is occurring on this date. Now, if you notice, 666, there's a lot of, Num numerology occurring here, not to get off into that, but it just happened to happen on October 6, 1966. And so we, we begin to see something shifting in our nation. The following year, most like everyone here has heard of the summer of love. This is when you begin to see youth all over America flood into San Francisco, into the, to, to the, to this section to support their hippie fashions, their dress, their behavior, which was free love, free sex, and basically we're going to do drugs, we're going to do whatever we want. And then a few months later, capitalizing on this, um, the founder of the Mamas and Papas said, hey, why don't we have a festival? And, and prior to that, they would have more like a jazz festivals. They said, let's go for it. We're going to do a rock festival. We're going to blow the, blow the doors off this thing. We're going to bring our drugs, and we're going to do our thing. So in the summer... We're now the summer of, of, of 1967. There's a three-day concert embodied the California counterculture regarded as the beginning of the summer, love, summer of love, peace and love. And um, that's the same summer when the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, we sort of love the nice tune, beautiful tune. But if you even look on the cover of that album is Anton, not Anton LaVey, but Alistair Crawley, I believe his name is, who was a, a Satanist from the UK. And so you, there was a tremendous shift spiritually occurring in our music, in our youth, in our culture, and it was beginning 
not that it hadn't occurred, but you begin to see a shift occurring in 1966 through 1967. So, now, if you suddenly feel this sense of, maybe this explains what's been happening, you're right. And so, um, part of what I'd like to do today is I'd like to also just sort of take a little bit of a timeline of what's occurring in America. So, 1962, prayer and Bible readings removed in schools. So that sort of trips a wire there in the early 60s. The Summer of Love, which I gave you a little bit of background, occurs 1966, going into 1967. 1973, abortion was legalized in our nation through the act of, of nine justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. And suddenly it's now okay to, to murder the unborn. Some, many of you may not know this statistic. 1973, homosexuality was depathologized. I can't even say the word. Um, basically, it, what, what they were saying, up until that point, the American Psychiatric Association in America would have considered homosexuality abnormal behavior. Okay? It would have not been considered normal. Okay? So suddenly, so think about it. Going back before that time, the ACA would have said a certain thing, they shifted their thinking. So were they right then and wrong now? Were they wrong now, right then? The whole point of even mentioning that is to say the, the common belief at the time was one thing, the common belief now seems to be another. Um, what suddenly shifted? Things are shifting in the spirit realm that suddenly things are accepted that weren't accepted before. Um, I'm not going to cover everything, but 1985, even the moment of prayer, this actually was a law in Alabama, I believe, um, where we wanted to let people who wanted to have a moment of silence or a moment of prayer was determined. That was even unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Um, in, 19, in 2011, um, the first gay pastor was ordained in the Presbyterian Church of the USA. Um, 2015 in, in America, same-sex marriage was legalized. And now, here we are, 2017, sorry, I keep saying 19. In 2017, there's various statistics that would say that roughly 17% of people attend church on a regular basis in America. Um, I don't know. It's not going in the right direction, in my opinion. So, we have been in this sort of shift, this state of, of, of decline. And to say that it does, has not affected you and I, I think would be naive. In all sincerity, I think I've sensed it, felt it, battled it at different levels at different times in my life for the last 50 years. Has anyone not? <laughs> I mean, has anyone not felt, what do you do? What's right? What's wrong? What do, how do I live my life? It, it comes much more difficult when society suddenly shifts like it is shifting before our very eyes. I would like to propose that we do something today together. And that we step out of the boat and walk on the water a little bit and make a declaration of God's light over our nation. Why, why, would, why should we accept that, that prophecy of 1966 anymore? So, I would like to ask you, if you'd be willing, to read with me a declaration of light over America. So say this with me, if you will. On this day... We release 
a new blessing of God's freedom and grace through Jesus Christ. We cancel the false prophecy spoken over this land on October 6, 1966, that bound a generation to sin and spiritual captivity. We declare Birmingham is the Lord's. Alabama is the Lord's. The United States is the Lord's. The nations of the earth are the Lord's. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to read it one more time. On this day, we release a new blessing of God's freedom and grace through Jesus Christ. We cancel the false prophecies spoken over this land on October 6, 1966, that bound a generation to sin and spiritual captivity. We declare Birmingham is the Lord's, Alabama is the Lord's, The United States is the Lord's. The nations of the earth are the Lord's. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can one person make a difference? So, what I hold in my hand. What's this? It's a match. What's this in my hand? Does, does... Say that a little louder. A light. Is it a forest fire? Yeah, it is. We light it. We light this match. You can start a forest fire with this one single match you have the match I gave you one so that you could remember you can make a difference one match could be revival in America one match one match Jesus said let your light you and I you are the light of the world the city set on a hill, cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, one on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see the good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I'd like to turn to that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. And I'm going to find it in mine. And I want you, if you have a Bible, just read this with me. Because if you're... If you're like me, the first time I read that, I I thought Jesus was the light of the world. So at first, I didn't think that applied to me. Did anyone think that, or was it just me? Okay. Maybe it's just me. Let's see if I can find Matthew here. Matthew 5. Jesus is finishing up the Beatitudes, the the blessings. And if you go to verse 11... Matthew 5, 11, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Now, who's he talking to? The people that were on the mountain there with him, right? He's talking to us, right? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 
So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. You and I are called to be salt and light. You and I are called to take our match and light it. We're not to argue with the person in the dark room that we just bumped into. Turn on the lights. Turn on the lights. Light your match. Mitch, um, in, in, in worship, I loved it because I wanted to come back to the greatest story ever told. I love what happened this year, by the way. Um, the, um, the Super Bowl. Nothing now we're talking about it. Never, unprecedented, no one's ever come behind. 25 points down. They did it. It was unprecedented. It happened. We love telling that story about the one second, if you're an, if you're an Auburn fan, <laughs> I guess. Or Eagle. Roll Tide, whatever. I like them both. <laughs> one second. If they hadn't done that replay. <laughs> anyway. But we love talking about football. But what if you and I just, in addition to talking about that football game, say, let me tell you something that's more important to me than anything. Anything. This was the last breath I breathed on this earth. Let me tell you the greatest story that's ever been told. Really. I want to hear it. Oh, this story's fantastic. Turn on the light. Tell the story. I wrote this. I'm sure it could be a million times better, but go with me. God created the world and humankind with a free will, knowing that we would reject him. God knew that the only way to break the curse of sin would require himself to come to earth as a man, live a sinless life, die on a cross, be raised from the dead. And all that received his personal sacrifice could be redeemed back into his family. That's the story. That's a story. Tell that story. Make it up the way you want to make it better. But it doesn't have to be a long dissertation. It doesn't have to be a perfect explanation of everything that's happened in the last 50 years if I got half of it wrong or all of it wrong. Tell that story. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They say, what do I need to do? Call on the name of the Lord. And you'll be saved. Can you do that? That's it. Is that not an easy story to tell? Even I can tell that. You can tell that. Every one of us can tell that story. Every one of us. I love this verse. I just want to read this. It's one of my favorite verses in Isaiah 66. It's a passage that I... Just enjoy. Now, I've just taken excerpts of it. This is in Isaiah 66, verses 18 and 19. 
But I love this prophecy. There's something about declaring the fame. Who is famous? Jesus is famous. I got to tell you. And we want to, the God wants us to tell the world that Jesus is famous. We want to declare this fame. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will send to the nations, to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they, they, me, you, shall declare the glory among the nations. You and I will do this. You and I will do this. This is a prophecy in Isaiah 66. He's calling us out. All of us in Alabama, Birmingham, the United States, to declare his light to the nations. Amen. Amen. And if you get afraid, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we're not going to love our life even unto death. Are you willing to lay down your life for the gospel? Because it may take that now. It may take that now. It may take that now. I want to conclude... This is the year of Jubilee. 50 years of hell on earth. 50 years of independence from God needs to end today. It's time to become dependent upon God so that you can be free. And you can live. And you can live eternal life. I mean, we need that. This, it's time to shift this, this, this generation. It's time to declare. It's time for everyone in this church, anyone ever hears this, this, this sermon... From this point forward, we're going to light this match in Jesus' mighty name. And we're going to declare this fame because there's nothing else that matters anyway. Nothing else matters anyway. It's time to reverse this curse. It's time to release the captives. Let our light shine and reap the harvest. I want to read a story. It's in Matthew 26. Find this passage in Matthew 26. Love this story. Love this story. I love the stories that don't seem to make like they really matter. Because there's always something that you could miss. I love this story. This story is your story. This story is my story. This story is your story. This story is my story. In Bethany, this is right before Jesus was going to die. Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, it's about to come down. And the plot to kill Jesus had been hatched, and they were ready to do their thing. It says, and when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were angry, saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. 
For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. I love this part. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You say, the thing I do doesn't count. Could you be a Mary of Bethany? The only one who had a clue at this setting, who had a sense that Jesus was about to die. You took your very expensive fragrant oil and said, I'm going to pour it on Jesus. Because he deserves this. And Jesus says, Mary, wherever this message is told, what you did, will be told. Can one person make a difference? Does what you do for the Lord matter? Does he take notice when everyone else doesn't? He might. He just might see it. He saw it that day. I hope he sees what we're doing here today too. Because this is about him. This is about the lamb who was slain receiving the reward of his suffering. It's about him. It's about us being willing to lay everything down in the midst of a crazy generation who doesn't know what news is, let alone the good news. We just need to tell that story. And we 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 need to reap the harvest. We need to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. We need to get focused on what matters for eternity. I don't think there's going to be Alabama and Auburn banners in heaven. Maybe there will. Don't know. But one thing you can take with you is people. You can take people with you. You can take them. Wouldn't you like that banner to be over your house? Hey, I remember that time you told me that story. Changed my life. Thank you. I'm here with you today. Let me ask you a question. Everyone in this room, would you like to be a part of what God's doing the next 50 years, the next year, the next minute? Would you like to be? Would you like to dedicate, rededicate your life for that, for the gospel? I'm going to ask the elders of this church to come forward. I've asked them in advance to take a bottle of anointing oil and to stand along the front and uh, to be just pray a simple prayer over each person, praying that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that God would set you apart for what He wants to be done. During wor- Actually, before worship, while we were praying um, before the service this morning, I saw a picture of the Lord digging He was digging. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to let some people bury their past. Maybe we just need to bury the whole past, this whole generation, this whole mess, this whole rejection of God. Let's just bury it and move on. Bury it in the blood of Jesus and say, no. No, we make a new declaration. We make a declaration of light. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So if the elders, if you would come forward, please, and stand at the front. I see Tom and 
Larry's coming down and Grant. Um, there's one bottle up there. There's a couple here. And I'm just going to ask you, as, as sort of like when we do communion, just let each, you can receive prayer. They're going to anoint you with oil and, and bless you. You're welcome to stay after they pray for you or you're welcome to go back to your seat. When they're done, Mitch is going to lead us in a couple songs. And in that time, in these next 10 minutes or so, as you're just this time of consecration, just filter everything else out and say, God, it's me and you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to be what you want me to be. If you have walked in this church today and you have never given your life to God, you've never surrendered to him, do it. Come on up and do it at the same time. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've never been filled with power and you want to be filled, come forward. When Peter walked on the water, he had to get out of the boat. You may just need to get out of the boat. I'm going to pray for us. And while I'm praying, you're welcome to come and begin to receive in prayer. So, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, God, we, we stop and humble ourselves before you. We declare, God, that you are Lord of all. I pray, Father, that as we're prayed over each person as they receive prayer, that, Lord, it would be something would happen. It would be a, a release of your presence. That, God, you would use this spark, this small flame from this small church in Birmingham, Alabama, to change the world. To change the world. To change the world. the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering feel free to come now feel free to come now feel free to come now all over this place come and receive from the Lord hallelujah Pray. 